Hey, listen, I just want, I, what I want to do today is, it's probably not going to be your typical three-point alliterated sermon, okay? Uh, what I want to do, I just kind of want to share my story, if I can. I want to share my story with you guys about prayer, and I'm hoping that, uh, that it'll connect with some of you. As a matter of fact, probably several of you, um, it'll bring back lots of memories for you because a lot of you guys are from the exact same place I'm from. I feel like I'm at like Little Gardendale First Baptist because there's some of y'all here. And so it's great seeing familiar faces like crazy. But I, I just want to share my story with you about prayer. You know, I, I'll be honest with you. I, 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 uh, I hear uh, history. I hear about history in the area of of awakenings, and I read about revivals, and I hear about how powerful they were, and about how strong they were. And I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm really tired of, of reading about history. I'm about ready to make history some way, form, or fashion. Not me, it just Andy. I'm talking about the church. I'm talking about we as our generation. The, you know, the baton's been handed down to us to, to usher in the presence of God. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I really, I'm kind of like Habakkuk. Habakkuk says in, in uh, Habakkuk 3, 1, he says, This prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk. I have heard all about you, Lord. I'm filled with all by your amazing works. In this time of, of deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. And in other translations, hey, I've heard of all the things you've done in past. I've heard of, of the great miracles and the things that you've done. And in our day, in our time, do the same things you did then. And in my opinion... I personally believe, and I think it's very scriptural, I personally believe that the only way that happens is we, as the corporate body of Christ, and there's nothing more powerful than the corporate body of Christ coming together in white, hot, passionate pursuit of God in prayer. There's a lot of peas in there. I could have made a message out of that. Listen, you listen. it's unbelievable the importance in the area, there's a, listen, if we want to see revival and we want to see awakenings, like I know your pastor does, your, your tan pastor, listen, if we want to see revival take place, the only way it can happen, in my opinion, is when we really start to pursue God in prayer. It comes with a price. It, it, listen, it doesn't just happen rolling out of bed and just going with the flow and being like everybody else. It comes with a price. And I, I've been blessed to experience ripples, little small ripples of revival throughout my days of ministry. And I haven't seen the tidal wave yet, but I'm hoping and praying that in my day, in my time, that I'll be able to be a part of history. And not the history of making the name of Andy Heiss a legacy. I, I don't care about that, really. I'm hoping that that's not in my, it may be in my bones, but I want it out because my passion is to make the name of Jesus, leave his legacy behind it. My, my pockets are completely empty that when people talk about the things that, that Andy did or Nelson did, or anything, that we always leave a trail that Jesus is the main focus that everybody talks more about Jesus than they do about the person that proclaimed Jesus because he's the answer. You know, one thing that my mentors always taught me, and I bet you Nelson said this before, that we want to build a service that attracts the presence of God so that God can attract the people. We want to build a service. So how do you attract the presence of God? You attract the presence of God with a people who have a heart of, 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 of prayer, who's got a heart to pursue him in prayer. And whenever we do that, we see great things happen. At the age of uh, uh, 24, uh, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Uh, I would come straight out of the clubs on Friday and Saturday night. I'd go to church for the wrong reasons. I'd go to church at a, 
at Gardendale First Baptist Church because I was a single man. I was actually going to look for a, a hot church girl. And so I went to a big church because there's more fish in a big pond. And so I went for the wrong reasons. And I love it when people go to church for the wrong reasons because if it wasn't for me going for the wrong reasons, I would never uh, heard Jesus and receive Jesus and let Jesus change my life. And so I can remember the message was preached. Steve Gaines was preaching and it just hit me right between the eyes. Made the decision that day I'm going to give my life to Christ. I gave my life to Christ. And my spiritual journey started that day at the age of 24. I can remember I had no clue about really how to walk with God. I'd kind of been in church a little bit all the way up into there. Uh, very, very religious. But all I knew was, was all I had was my King James Version Bible. And uh, all I knew, I was supposed to read my Bible and pray, so I read my Bible as much as possible. Didn't understand the majority of it, but I read, and I can remember I'd get down on my knees and I'd pray beside my, my bed. And so I just started doing this Jesus thing. I'm telling you, when I got saved, it was like this. It, it, it was, it, I went from, from party guy to holy roller overnight. I mean, everybody at Coca-Cola, which is where I used to work, which is the worst job in America. If you work there, I'm praying for you now in Jesus' name. Bless them, Lord. Listen, uh, I, I, those guys at Coke knew. I mean, they knew immediately that, that something had changed in my life. And that's what Jesus does when he comes into your life. He changes you radically, radically changes you. And so he did. He changed my life. And I can remember... Several weeks, several months went by, and I'm trying to pursue God. I went to church on a regular basis. I can remember there was a day, there was a Sunday, that this guy named David Jett walks up to me. I kind of knew who he was. I knew he was the executive pastor at the church. And he comes, and he, he, he kind of puts his arm around me, and he says, I see that you're by yourself all the time. <laughs> you're a loser, pretty much. And so... Um, <laughs> I see you by you said we we've got the singles ministry, we got this young professionals ministry we're about to start. Why don't you come and hang out with us? Me and the pastor's wife are gonna be teaching it. And I was like, Well, okay, I'd love to do that. And so uh, I wasn't going to Sunday school at that time, so started going to Sunday school and so me and uh um uh, you know, I get there and basically David says, um, probably uh two or three weeks in, he says, Hey, why don't we start just praying for our Sunday school class. Why don't we start praying for this young professor's class? So he gets me and a guy named Troy Strickland and a guy named Danny Miller. All right, now listen, those dudes were zealous for Jesus. I'd never met. I thought those jokers were crazy. I'm like, man, them jokers have flipped their, they mean too many Fruit Loops because, man, they are crazy. But, man, they just loved Jesus. And I can remember we would get there early in the morning before uh, Sunday school would start. And David would tell us, he'd say, listen, I don't want to talk about being Baptist. I don't want to talk about, I don't want to talk about being Pentecostal, charismatic. All I want to talk about is I want to see the New Testament church come alive. I'm tired of reading the Bible and not seeing these things take place in our day and our time. I read about it all the time, but I don't see it happening. And I'm ready to start seeing these things happening. So we started praying that God would move, and he did. God started doing incredible things in our Sunday school class. Now listen, you know that if God moves in a Sunday school class, it is God. Because Sunday school class kind of pained me at times. But listen... God moves strong. He moves strong, okay? And so when, when, whenever uh, he was moving, David comes to us and he says, hey, hey why, don't we, why, don't we start, why don't we start praying for our church? Why don't we meet on Saturday nights at 7 o'clock in the sanctuary? I got a key. <laughs> I work here. Meet me here at 7 o'clock. And let's just do some spiritual house cleaning. Let's go around the church. Let's just start praying where God leads us and just ask the Lord to show us how to fight, how to war in the spirit realm. 
And so I can remember we would show up. You know, you got three single guys. You know that we had to love Jesus on a Saturday night at 7 o'clock that we are going to go hang out at the church. All right? We were really strange kids. And so we would sit on the front row, and I remember David would pour into us, and it was like drinking from a fire hydrant. I'm talking about he would just give us everything he had from that week. And I'm talking about we were like, oh, give us more. I mean, that's incredible stuff. And he teaches about spiritual warfare. He teaches about the importance of, of uh, you know, getting cleaned up, death to self, you know, prayer, how to pray, things that we want to see take place in Scripture, the things God's showing him. And, uh, and then we, we'd usually get up and we'd start walking around and we'd start praying and asking God to move and do incredible things. And what we started seeing was with the thing, were the things that we started praying for specifically on Saturday night, we started seeing taking place on Sunday morning. I mean, literally start taking place. And God started doing gigantic stuff. It was, it was large. The good thing, the great thing about it is that in the process of David coming along and raising up a few people on Saturday nights to start praying because that started growing. It started with the three of us and then it started growing. There's this crazy guy named Bruce Hill who was about this tall. When he got full of the spirit, he could slam a back basketball like 180 hammer time because he, I mean, he would jump like out of the roof whenever he would lead worship. Wasn't the greatest singer in the world, but he could love Jesus. I, I just, just hammered him right because everybody knows. Listen, I love him. Listen, the dude loved Jesus. And in the process of, of David teaching people how to pray on Saturday night, he starts teaching the choir who was packed out how to pray and how to fast. Hardcore. And, and listen, the dude had a heart for Jesus. He was passionate about Jesus. And so he starts praying choir starts praying. People, people in the choir, we, we're not even calling the church on a fast. <laughs> people in the choir starts fasting for 21 days and 40 days. I mean, some of these jokers going with just liquids, no food, and hey, they're going after the heart of God. Same thing's happening with, with people that, come on, that are coming on Saturday night to pray. And, and I remember, you know, Steve, who was the pastor, Steve Gaines, I can remember you could go up to his office at any time during the week usually and he'd always have a sign on his door that says praying and you could hear that joker walking around in his office shouting and praying with his ghetto blaster on <laughs> with some praise music just walking and pacing the floor praying I mean it's very rare that you went up to his office that he didn't have that sign on his door and that church became a church of hard after God prayer and honestly, and I don't mean this in a, in a negative sense, I really don't. It, 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 wasn't, it started not being your typical Southern Baptist church. God's presence started dropping, I mean, in a hardcore way. People would drive by on Main Street in front of the church, pull their car back around to the front, would walk in during the week or during, Sunday, or during Sundays, whatever, and say, hey, for some reason I felt led that I'm supposed to come into this place. Something was drawing me here. And it happened so often that we'd know, hey, God drew you here. He's got something for you. And the majority of those people would give their life to Christ. I can remember people would walk in the door before the service even started, kind of like before 10 o'clock. You guys are hanging out, eating cookies, drinking drinks. You, wouldn't, you couldn't do that there because it was against the rules to drink, chew gum, or anything in church. All right, but <laughs> a bunch of sinners. I can't believe y'all got cookies in here. Listen, and so people would walk in the door 
before anybody strummed the guitar, played the piano, played any kind of orchestra for the choir, same before anybody stood on stage, the presence of God would hit them. And we saw this on many occasions. People would just walk straight to the altar, go, go straight through the, down the aisle to the altar, and several times give their life to Christ. God started moving powerfully in a strong, strong way. Started people get seeing, seeing people get set free, <laughs> having these long two-hour services. Some of y'all are like, dear God, don't let it come here. I mean, it was long, incredible services that God was doing. And he was just moving. Strong, and everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. That's why everybody was, listen, let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you what happened to me in that moment. And probably several of you in this room. I was ruined by the presence of God. I was ruined by his presence to where regular old church ain't ever going to do again. I mean, I, I, I started praying, God, I want, what, I want what's abnormal on earth and normal in heaven. If it's normal in heaven and it's abnormal on earth, I don't really care. What I've tasted and what I've seen is, is, is what I long for and what I desire. And so at the, in those young days of my life, the Lord blessed me with mentors that taught me the importance of prayer. We started seeing some of these things that we see in the New Testament and Acts actually started coming to fruition. I mean, people were being healed in our church. You know, where a lot of people in Baptist churches these days believe those things are for, you know, are dead and gone, which is absolutely, let me do the robot on that, stupid, all right? Listen, it's, it's crazy, and so, I, you know, in the process, my story on prayer, um, these guys put me on staff. Uh, they asked me to come on and be like an associate student pastor. And so I worked with students for five years. Now, to be honest with you, in the meantime, I was still praying and seeking the Lord. But there was a place in, in, uh, in my thought process, maybe even in my spirit, that, that I started getting this idea that you know, with kids, I started thinking like, well, we're, I'm gonna, we're going to do this thing big. You know, we're going to change the stage every single week. We're going to have lights. Man, we're going to have cool ministry. We're going to do it cool, and we're going to draw all the kids. Now, in the meantime, I'm still praying, but to be honest with you, my priority shifted to where I had moved away from this thought process in my head in the area of, hey, it's the presence of God, it's the presence of God, it's the presence of God too. We're going to do it cool, we're going to do it big, we're going to make it bling, bling, baby. And to be honest with you, good things happened during that time. But it wasn't what I had experienced before, but I didn't recognize it in that moment. And so for five years, you know, these kind of things kind of shifted. I had this shift inside of me. And it's amazing, by the way, this is a whole side note. It's amazing how the enemy will subtly turn you away from what's right and what's important. And it's got nothing to do with if I'm doing it or not. What it's got everything to do with is, is my heart and my priorities straight with who Jesus is. It's happened with me up in desperation. We've had things where the enemy's turned us and we didn't even recognize it. I'm telling you, he's an ancient foe and he's a wise and you've got to be alert. You've got to stay close to the heart of God. Or I'm telling you, in your own personal life, he will turn you away from the things that matter most. That's a whole other message in and of itself. But there was a place where I, I, I can remember in student ministry where it just started turning. And so in the process, um, they put me on as college and singles minister. And, um, 
and we did a service on Thursday nights called The Generation, and it was a, it was a college and single service. Now, to back up a little bit, um, when they brought me in as the college and singles minister at Gardendale, all I ever heard, and everybody was being nice and as kind as possible about this, that, hey, man, to be honest with you, Andy, college and singles will always be what it's always going to be. This isn't really a singles town. We're not sitting out here next to UAB. It's never going to bust out at the seams. You know, you'll always be what you're always going to be. College ministry's never been much here, and it probably won't ever be much here because we don't really live in a college town. And so I'm like, if y'all just want me to maintain this, man, y'all need to fire my tail because that's not who God's called me to be. I mean, really? But I mean, people of high esteem, people that I love, people that I respected, I mean, people that were kind of mentors to me. I mean, they were trying to be encouraging, <laughs> but I'm like, well, okay. You know, but I, I'll be honest, I, I can remember in the process of hearing that all the time. Um, I can remember getting with God. We, we did our services in, in, in a room. We called it the big room. It was over in the student building. The, the students met there on Wednesday nights, and we met there on Thursday nights. And so I would go in there and I'd pray. I'd, I'd walk around it every day just about as much as I could and just ask the Lord just to move. And I can remember one day after I'd heard it for about the thousandth time. Thousandth? I don't think that's really a word, but I just said it. But I just made it up. So anyway, after I heard it, Around a thousand times, I got tired of it, and I got with God. And I said, God, from the way that I see it in Scripture, when people tell you you can't do something, you kind of like it that way. You like it when people back you in a corner and tell you that you can't do something because whenever you come out and actually do what they say you can't do, you receive all the glory for it. You receive all the glory and so, God, these folks here, I'm hearing over and over that, God, the college and singles ministry here will never be much of nothing. That it's always going to be what it's always going to be. God, would you, pre- would you please prove yourself and glorify yourself in a large way? And I'm telling you, it was like God crawled up. I need you to hear me on this. It was like God crawled up in my lap, grabbed me by the shirt collar, got nose to nose with me in a loving, fatherly way. And say, hey, boy, it's time for you to return to your first love. It's time for you to get back to prayer the way I taught you from the beginning. Hey, I know you're still praying, but it's not your priority. It's not your first priority. I've called you to pray. You know, the Bible says very plainly that my house will be called a house of prayer. It doesn't say my house will be called a house of worship. It doesn't say my house will be called a house of doctrine. It doesn't say my house will be called a house of preaching which all those things are great and groovy, but it says the first thing that his house is called is a house of prayer. And isn't it really, really kind of crazy and isn't it kind of weird that the enemy knows that how powerful prayer is, is that he has done everything he could to put it on the back burner of most churches, that the majority of churches, probably 90-something percent of churches, do not have a corporate hot person. I'm not talking about ain't nails, toenail, all right? Ain't nails toner. Y'all like that? I'm a point didn't know it. Listen, I'm talking about going after the heart of God, grabbing hold of the horns of the altar. I'm talking about coming together and doing some spiritual warfare, fighting the enemy. Listen, the enemy has duped us big because he knows that when God's people start to really pray and stay consistently in prayer, consistent in prayer, and don't get comfortable with prayer, that it moves the hand of God and it does incredible things in the spirit realm. 
God moves, he moves, he moves, he moves. And I don't care if it's a Baptist church, charismatic church, uh, non-denominational church, Eagle's Wing church. I don't care what kind of church it is. If the people in that church come together as the body of Christ and begin to pursue God, the devil is ticked about it. And God starts moving. To say all that, I said, yes, sir. So immediately I get on the phone and I call up my leaders, as many as I could, and I say, hey, get the word out. When we get done with Oasis on Wednesday night, which was the midweek adult worship service at Gardendale at that time, I said, hey, at 8 o'clock we're going to start meeting in the, in, the, in the big room where we do our services and we're going to start praying every Wednesday at 8 o'clock. We're going to start asking God to move. We're going to start asking God to move. So every Wednesday after Oasis, whenever that was, at 8 o'clock, would have a pile of kids outside waiting to get in to the big room. I think Jesus just dropped some pixie dust on us. Did y'all hear that? Anyway, that was really cheesy. But listen, we would all meet outside the big room, and then we would we'd go in, and I'm telling you, it's amazing to watch these kids start crying out for their friends north, south, east, and west. God, you got to bring them. Bring my friends. We want your presence. We want your presence more than anything else. They'd grab a hold of the horns of the altar of God. The ones that, you know, the 18 to 34-year-old generation is the most unchurched generation alive. It's a black hole in most churches. And the ones that nobody really think about were the ones that were crying out. And watch these kids get on their face and start, you know, leading and teaching people about prayer. And I can remember, this is the honest truth, for three and a half years, close to three and a half years, we prayed. We didn't see much happen in our ministry. I mean, we, good night, would have 100, 150, if I can remember right. I mean, it wasn't very many. We didn't see too many salvations. But the presence of God showed up, and we were ruined by it. I mean, these kids were ruined by it. And I can remember... um, they, uh, you could probably count on one hand in three and a half years, maybe two, <laughs> the Wednesdays that we missed. And that was usually, you know, the Wednesday before, before Thanksgiving. And if Christmas fell on, we'd always, it would always, they'd always show up. And throughout that five years of doing the generation or whatever that I was there, you know, there was it from anywhere from 10 to 70 something kids that show up just to pray. So for three and a half years, we didn't see much happen. And I, and, but nobody quit. We just kept on praying. And let me, go ahead and let me go ahead and throw this out there to you. I don't know if y'all have a prayer service. I, I don't know what y'all do prayer-wise. I really don't. If you don't, you need to get one immediately. Immediately. You need to find a day that y'all need to start meeting and praying. But what I'm saying is, is this. If you don't see anything happen... In two years, one year, three years, five years, ten years, keep praying. Keep praying. Keep going after the heart of God because it's coming. 
I promise you. So for three and a half years, we prayed. God moved, but it wasn't the ways that we were praying. I mean, it was incredible. It was great. I can remember one day I was going into my office. I remember it was a Tuesday. I don't remember exactly the year or the date. But I I remember I got a phone call from this lady who was a really godly lady, a lady that I trust, um, I mean, with, with her walk with God. And she's actually, I'm actually going and taking my kids to the nursery at the church because that's where my, my office was and I had nursery there. And I was going in to study Galatians 1.10 because I was getting ready to preach uh, on the fear of man. And so I can remember walking in, but like it was yesterday, this lady calls me up and she's, she's crying. And she said, hey, I, I disobeyed God. She said, I had a word for you yesterday. And I didn't call you because it was a hard word. And I was scared to death to give it to you, but God's kept me up on it. I've got to give it to you today. So, huh? She said, I know you got ADD, so I need you to get by yourself somewhere so you can listen to it. So I said, all right, hang on. Let me call you back. I'm going to drop my kids off, and I'll get back with you. So I went and dropped my kids off, came back to my office. I said, all right, I'm in my office. Ain't nobody around. All right, ADD in check. What you got? She said, listen, in tears, she said, she said, the Lord revealed to me yesterday that you've got a, in the spirit realm, there are people lined up around that building, wrapping around that building over and over and over again, waiting to get in. And they all got chains on. They got bonded, just chains on them. And they're waiting to get in. But they can't get in until you get set free first. You got to get set free. I said, what do I got to get set free from? She said, God said he's been trying to tell me, he's been trying to tell you this for three or four weeks. And it's, you, you need to think about what he's been telling you. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, that's the word. That, like, God's got something to tell me. I need to listen. I said, do you know what this, this sin is that's holding me back, holding these people back from getting in? She says, yeah. I said, well, give it. I got my big boy britches on. Give it to me. Give it to me. She said, ain't the Lord told me that you've got a stronghold of the fear of man in your life. The fear of man is large. And God can't really move in, in this ministry until you get set free from it. And I'm telling you, it was like God had his cowboy, pointy cowboy boots that you kill cockroaches in the corner with and kicked me right in the gut. I knew exactly what. That's why I was coming in to study the fear of man. I just didn't know it was for me that strong more than it was for the other people. And to be honest with you, one of the first people I went and sat down with was your pastor who helped me walk out of a lot of it. I can remember hanging the phone up and just weeping like a baby, crying like a baby. First person I call up immediately is David Jett, who is my mentor, who has left Gardendale at this time, is at Crossgates Baptist Church. I think he was there at that time. I call him up, and I tell him the word that was given to me. And I'm sitting there crying like a baby for, for an hour. He sits there and just speaks life into me. I hardly say a word. He just sits there and speaks life. I mean, life. And he, he spoke, you know, that's what Jesus always speaks, by the way. I don't know of anywhere in Scripture where Jesus speaks death on anybody. He always speaks life, gives people hope. 
And that's how I knew David was a man of God from the first time I met him. He always spoke life. And so he speaks life into me. He begins to tell me the things that God's doing. And I sat there and I cried. I remember on my desk was a puddle of tears. If I'd have slapped it, it'd have gone everywhere. I mean, it was a big puddle of tears on my desk. And so about an hour later, I hang the phone up with him. I go over to where we do our services to the big room. And um, I remember I, I went by Keith Varden's desk, who's with me at Coleman now. And Stephen Nix was working there. He's with me at Coleman. I went by Keith's desk, and I, I said, I want you to come with me. I went by Stephen's desk. I want you to come with me. Let's go into Jamin's office. Jamin is still and was the student pastor there. And I said, hey, let's go inside here. I want to I talk to you. And so we, wanted, we all went into the uh, to Jamin's office. And I told him, I said, hey, listen, if you ever see me crawfishing, if you ever see me back backing up because I worry about what people think, because I have this stronghold of the fear of man, I give you the rights to kick me in the tail and to call me out. Y'all need to keep me accountable in this area because I don't want the fear of man to keep me from doing what God has for my life. By the way, at that time, I had no clue that God was going to be calling me to plant a church in Coleman, Alabama, the most church county in the, in the entire state, which makes absolutely no sense. And everybody telling you, hey, you don't need to go. That's crazy. And so we all had one of, these, one of these bro times where, honestly, we're all in there starting to confess our own junk, which is good moments, by the way. We all having this time where we're sharing. And so we leave um, the room. And, and usually we used to pray together all the time. Uh, we'd, me, me and Jamin and the staff, we'd pray almost every day in the big room because he had services there on Wednesday and we had ours on Thursday. And uh, we'd already planned on praying that day later on that afternoon. But I said, hey, why don't we just go pray in there now? Let's go pray where we do our services now. And so I can remember the four of us. We went into the big room where we did our services for, for the generation. And I, for some reason, there was no chairs in there. It was just a big empty room. And I don't know why there weren't any chairs in there because the chairs were always set up. I can't remember why. But I want to tell you something. The presence of God dropped so strong in that place that it'll be something I'll never forget. And some of y'all may think I'm absolutely nutty and crazy and I don't really care. But I'm telling you, I could literally see the presence of God. Today. I'm telling you, it looked like a cloud rolled up in that place. There's only two times as I've saw it once in Coleman at our church, and I've seen it that day. And Jamin goes about 6'5". He looks like Mr. Incredible, and he's shaking the earth because he's jumping up and shouting. We did not look like Baptist guys. We were shouting and we were screaming, and we were dancing, and we were, we, were, we were in the presence of God in a strong way. Like I, like I, like I hadn't experienced. I've, listen, I've been in the presence of God several times throughout my That was a strong day. And I can remember in the process, they, they, there's a song by a lady named Misty Edwards. They call her prophetic singer, and I don't know exactly what that means. But I don't know if she made her CD with a prophetic singer because she had to have prophetic musicians behind her too because they got him. what's she singing? Anyway, that's really stupid. You got to think really hard about that. But listen, there was a song that she had that she sang that said, people get ready. And honestly, it's longer than any Led Zeppelin song I've ever heard in my entire life. It was a long song. And she, uh, you know, the, there's one part I remember about the song while we were in there praying. 
It's like people get ready. Jesus is coming. People get ready. Jesus is coming. People get ready. Jesus is coming. And I'm telling you, it was like God was singing over me. I've heard that song a thousand times, but there was something different about that day when he was singing, people get ready. Jesus is coming. And God spoke to me. This is what he said. He said, Andy, I've got got a calling for your life. There's a Lord's calling. And if you don't drop the fear of man, if you don't drop the fear of man, that men of high esteem will walk you out of the calling that I have for you. It'll look right, what they say, smell right, taste right, but you've got to stay close to my heart. Stay close to me. Stay close to my heart. Stay close to my heart. Because you've got to hear me over them. You've got to hear me over them. Oh, yes, sir. And it seems like from that day, I don't know what the numbers were. I have no clue. But I'm telling you, that ministry exploded with kids driving from Coleman, Trustful, Tuscaloosa, Hoover. They were coming north, south, east. The, the, the same cities that these kids were calling out. We had, we had cities on, on the north, south, and east, west wall with tape up on the wall. We, we cried out every single week. Cried out for them every single week. We started seeing these jokers come. Come to the generation. We started seeing people get saved that had been in church all their life. We started having two-hour services. And when a kid doesn't leave a service because it's too long, you know God's got to be doing something. I mean, it was long services. God started moving in a strong, strong way. And it's got nothing to do with the leader, I promise you. It's got everything to do with the presence of God and the prayer of God. Prayer of his people. God's presence just dropped and people were being ruined by his presence. Being literally ruined by his presence. And they couldn't, they, they loved it. I can remember what's funny is I'd always have kids. We had probably close to 100 kids from Coleman that would come at different times. I usually would never come at once, but they'd all come at different times. And it's, it's funny, after every service just about, I don't know why it was just Coleman, but they would always come up to me after and say, hey, we need to, somebody needs to come and plant something like this in, in, uh, in Coleman, Alabama. Y'all need, we need to do something like that. I was like, well, we just need to pray that God would send somebody. <laughs> well, little did I know it had to be me. But anyway, <laughs> he answered my own prayer. And so, and so anyway, uh, uh, you know, God was moving. In the middle of everything I'd been praying for, God moving, God doing incredible things, needing to move out of this room because it was overflow too many people we felt like it was getting it was kind of handicapping us that we could grow more because god was just booming doing incredible stuff um he starts speaking in my spirit in the area of i want you to plant a church i'm like that, that's laughable god i mean that's really funny because, you know, when I went to seminary, I had every opportunity to take church planting classes. And I said from, from day one, I will never, ever, ever plant a church. I do not have enough administrative skills to plant a church. And I told God that, but he, he didn't care. Basically, what he told me is I'll put somebody beside you that does. I promise you, you know, Moses and Aaron. And so I, I said, you know, I'll never. So me and God wrestled with it for a long time. And God got me in the camel clutch and the figure four and got me all messed up and, and took me out. So if y'all don't know what that is, wrestling moves. But anyway, I was a wrestler in my old days. Um, but he, he, you know, don't ever wrestle with God. You just might as well go ahead and turn it over because you will never win. 
Because I'm like, God, God, we're at the peak. We're, we're, we're in the middle of doing everything we've been praying for for five years, and now you're telling me to leave? I'm working at the Garden of Eden. Man, this place is great. I love this. This is where I got saved. This is where I got called to ministry. This is where I'm seeing you boom in, in ministry. The, God, I, I don't, you know, I really don't. You, he said, I want you to plant a church. So I can remember going on a long extended fast. And uh, honestly, the fast was just, was honestly just for me, just kind of get cleaned up and just see if he had anything for me. It really wasn't for church planting. But I can remember at the, the very last day of the fast, the Lord said, hey, I want you to plant a church in Coleman, Alabama. I mean, it was like an explosion. Like I knew that it was God. So I want you to plant in Coleman. I was like, what? Okay, let me go. Because I was scared that he's going to put me like in Boston. I was like, dear God, God, I, that culture shock meeting each other. Those people will not know what to think whenever they hear my accent. That'd be terrible. Please don't put me somewhere like that. So he puts me somewhere where they're more country than I am, which is really scary. Listen, when you got people coming to church in wife beaters and Daisy Dukes, it's a good day. All right, listen. <laughs> Y'all think I'm kidding. They're there right now. I promise you, flip-flops. Listen, so I, uh, and so I started doing some research on Coleman, and I realized that there's more churches per capita in Coleman, Alabama than any other county in the state. I mean, they were ev- there are churches everywhere. I'm like, why do you want me to plant a church in Coleman, God? I mean, I'm going to be the laughing stock of Alabama. I mean, the laughing stock of Coleman, the laughing stock of Garden. Why? He never answered. Huh? Go do it. I told you to go. Like, all right, go. Now, I, I won't go into this story because this is a whole other story in and of itself, but God, when God called me, he called me to Ezekiel chapter, and I, he, he told me to go check out Ezekiel chapter 2. This is, I wish I had the whole time to tell you the story. Ezekiel chapter 2 was Ezekiel's calling, and basically he placed an Ezekiel calling on my life. Now, Ezekiel's calling was for the Israelites, but my calling was for the religious people. He said, I want you to go to the religious people. And so he sent me to the belt buckle of the Bible belt <laughs> right there in Coleman where there's more churches than anywhere else. There's a whole story behind that too. And that's why God placed me in Coleman was for the religious. And by the way, it's just as much fun for me to see people get set free from religion as much as it is to see people get saved just about. Because a lot of those people getting set free from religion are really getting saved. Listen, people have been in church all their life are like, oh my God. Oh my gosh, I had no clue this is what it's like. It's like drinking from a fountain, a fire hydrant. It was incredible, the difference. It's a big, massive difference. There's a great possibility. I'm just going to say this as nice as I can. In this room right here, there's probably, it's amazing probably how many of us have got that strong spirit of religion in us and we don't even realize it because it's got so many different forms. Hey, me, standing in front of you, I still got areas of religion in my life I want God to cut out. I prayed this morning, God, get it out of me because it's so destructive and it's deceiving. I think about the, I think about the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees. I got to hurry. The Pharisees and Sadducees, how about this? Hey, listen, this is a whole other message in and of itself. How about them jokers studied the Bible probably more than we do? I mean, they had to memorize the Torah, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They had to memorize it. And they had in their mind what Jesus was going to look, back, look like when he came back and had been teaching everybody else. And how about when Jesus came, they, the religious people, the ones that prayed, the ones that stood up and spoke on God's behalf, they missed him. 
Not only did they miss him, they killed him. It's crazy. Anyway, it's on another message in and of itself. And so I said, okay, God, we'll plant a church. And so I can remember we had our first launch team meeting um, with about 25 people at a house. I don't remember whose house it was. Um, By the way, we'd already closed down the generation. It was funny. We probably had, I don't know how many we had our last generation services, probably between four and 700 people somewhere in there. The place was jammed out, packed out. You know, in the middle of it, we were running anywhere from 150 to 350 people, kids on a regular basis every week. God just, where people were saying that, hey, it'll never grow. It'll always be what it's going to be. God showed up and did something completely different. He drew people in with his presence. Um, and so I can remember all the, a lot of these people came from Coleman. A few of them came from Gardendale, who was in our ministry. And so I can remember at our first launch team meeting, we didn't agree on a name. We didn't agree on taglines, mission statement. We didn't agree on anything but one thing. Because all of those people had seen the power of prayer. Every one of them said, we're going to find a way, some way, form, or fashion to start praying. And so before, our, our, before we even knew the, 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 the name of the church, we started praying every Wednesday night at somebody's house. We'd cook smorgasbord most of the time, some way, form, or fashion, and then we'd all meet in somebody's basement or somebody's den, and we'd just start praying for Coleman without even knowing what we were doing. So a whole entire year before we launched, we had a group of people praying every single week because we saw the power of prayer. If you come to our church this Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, you'd see between two and 400 people on their face praying for a move of God. Because the people up there in Coleman have now bought into prayer because they see how powerful it is. You know, our first launch day in Coleman, we had 530-something people and that's a huge, massive launch for a church plant. The next week is the telltale because usually you got your ninis and PPs and all them other kind of people, aunts and uncles that come. Caleb kind of thought that was funny. Um, that come the first Sunday to kind of support you, then they're usually all go back to their church the next week. So the next week we had about 350 people. So we've been planted for about three and a half years, and today there'll probably be anywhere between 1,100 and 1,300 people there. We've seen over 3,000 people give their life to Christ. We've baptized over 800. We'll probably have 50 to 70 alcoholics that come week in and week out. That's not hardly a week go by that I don't smell alcohol on somebody's breath. I love watching them get set free. Prostitutes. I had a prostitute just a couple of weeks ago come and want to get set free. You think, prostitute and Coleman, you better stink and believe it. You've seen all the truck stops up there? <laughs> How do you think they make their money? Addicts, addicts getting set free left and right. We got Catholics that come, Baptists, Charismatics. They all come from different denominations and they get along. Can you believe it? They love each other. That shows God's in the house by itself right there. Hey, you can come on up if you want to. That shows God's in the house right there. How about this more than anything else? The whole reason why we planted wasn't to draw people from other churches. 
the whole reason why we planted honestly was to reach unchurched people and so that's what we've been seeing more than anything else is unchurched. we've got agnostic and atheists that come every single week they hear jesus and i'm telling you some of them have given their life to christ but there's a lot of them that has not given their life to christ that will d church people who's been burned and hurt by church giving their life to jesus You know, all of that fires me. I mean, the, the salvations fire me up. To know that we're going to have 1,200 people in three, three and a half years at church today, that's great. That's good. That's, that's wonderful. But the thing that fires me up more than that is to know on any given Wednesday, we're going to have between two and 400 people on their face, on their face, crying out to God for a move of God. And the thing that fires me up more than anything else is that when people walk into our church, People who hadn't been to church in years or never been to church, they'll walk in and they'll say things like, my gosh, there's something different about this place. My hair stood up on the back of my neck. As soon as I walked in, something's different. It's like, well, I promise you, your pa- the pastor up there is really different. He's crazy. But that's not what you're sensing. The worship is good, but that's not what it is. It's not the people that's loving on you when you walk in. What you're experiencing and what you sense is the presence of God that ruined me 18 years ago. And ever since I was ruined that day, those days, those days, still ruins me today. And I long for more calls me to more and I don't know about you I don't want to do regular church anymore that's old that's old school right? I mean I'm tired of it hey some of you know exactly some of you in here know exactly what I'm talking about you've been where I've been you know what I'm talking about I mean do you miss it God's not dead he's not gone he's still there why can't eagles wing see a move of God? Why can't we have four or five services in this little room where the presence of God is just sitting so strong? Why? I'm telling you, the way it happens is when you, you, you grab a hold of the heart of God And pay the price of prayer. It's not really a price because there's a great reward and his reward reward is his presence. But I'm telling you, whenever you begin to really find a time that you can come together as the body of Christ and start crying out for a move of God, then do it. If only three of you show up, then that's great. If two of you show up, then keep coming. Don't stop. Keep coming. Keep praying. If there's ever been a time this nation or this this world has ever needed a strong revival is today. And it's always in the history books that I read about revival. In his darkest moment when it seems like there's no hope, there's this ray of light that takes place in some little small community where the people of God are pursuing the heart of God. And they're passionate. Listen, if this little story went through one ear and out the other, listen, I want to pray in Jesus' name that God sets you free from religion. 
Because this, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm not the greatest communicator in the world, not even close. But what I'm trying to communicate is that we need the power of God in our churches again. And it only comes when the corporate body of Christ comes together and prays. That you Listen, there's one common thread that runs through every revival that ever took place. Go read it. Every one of them started through prayer some way, form, or fashion, whether it was a 10-year-old little girl or whether it was a 50-year-old man. Started through prayer. God's calling, God's calling this group. I'm telling you, He's calling you to pray. That's my story. And I really believe the Lord told me a long time ago, Andy, I'm going to give you a platform in different churches to share your story about prayer because I'm calling my church back to prayer. I'm calling my church back to prayer. And he started doing that. He started giving me a little bit of a platform to go out and share the importance of prayer. He opened the door this week. I got a call this week, which is it's humbling. My heart's beating right now just telling you, but I don't even know if I should but because I'm want to stay as humble as possible, but Saddleback, Rick Warren's church called, they're having an art conference there, and I'm supposed to go there and talk about prayer. 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 It's the key. It's the key to a move of God. I'm tired of talking about history. I'm ready to see history made today. Watch God move. Let me pray for us. Father, in Jesus' name. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.